Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, we're debuting a brand new three-part podcast series with Quentin Tarantino and Amy Nicholson called Quentin Tarantino's Feature Presentation. Here's a quick trailer with more info. If you go to Quentin Tarantino's new Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles, you're going to hear that feature presentation song. And when the movie starts, you're going to step in to Quentin Tarantino's brain. If you own a movie, you own a print of a film, it feels like it's your movie. Consequently, it's like if people really like the movie and they go, wow, that movie was terrific. You know, my response was, oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> it was like I, I took credit for it because, well, it was my print. So, and, and, I, and I put the whole thing together to show it. So I, I actually felt like they were complimenting me. This is Quentin Tarantino's Feature Presentation, a new three-part podcast miniseries hosted by me, film critic Amy Nicholson of Unspooled and Halloween Unmasked. Before the release of his new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin and I sat down to talk about five films that he's programmed at the New Beverly, and we wound up talking about his life, his work, and how this movie-crazy kid became a director who defined a generation. Waiting for the lights to go down, and no one knows what to expect. Is this going to be one of those special times? Is it not going to be one of those special times? Is it going to be a forgettable time? The first episode of Quentin Tarantino's feature presentation is out later this week. It is the closest thing to sharing a bucket of popcorn with the man himself, so subscribe now wherever you hear podcasts. Welcome to Why I Hate My Team. I'm Bobby Wagner. I am the producer of the Ringer MLB show. I am joined in studio. I don't think this is your podcast debut at the Ringer, is it? No, I'm not a podcast regular, but I do drop in from time to time. Craig Gaines, copy chief of the Ringer. This is such a treat. Listeners be here. should very much appreciate this moment. Craig is a dual Dodgers and Tigers fan. It's true. It's true. We're going, it's, it's very strange. We should probably explore that. That's a story for another time. But that's for, for sure. a different right. time. No. Today we're here to talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers, the best team in baseball. We're making a sham out of the why I hate my team bit right now right. already. Because right. you cannot possibly hate this team right no, now. No, no, no. This is more um, my emotional journey with one team and one player. Why for a short amount of time I hated that team. And now why I'm kind of just happy for all parties. This is like a why I hated my team oral history. That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So this is the stages of grief in your post-Yasiel world. That's right. Yes. Um. You were incensed at the Yasiel Puig trade in this offseason. You you hated your team for that reason. And I want to ask you about that because Puig was obviously beloved by the, the Dodgers fan base. He connected with people at Chavez Ravine. He connected with people through their TV screens in a way that baseball players frequently do not. So I want to get your psyche the day that he gets traded. Where are you at? I was, I was despondent. And, you know, just to back up uh, f- for a minute, before he was traded, the years at Yasiel was with a team, I went through every single emotional reaction to him one could. There are times I absolutely loved him. There were times before this, I myself, in bars, screamed out, trade Puig. Okay, so I myself went through this whole spectrum. The thing is, the two seasons before this trade, it really seemed like he was starting to figure things out, especially at the plate, you know? I mean, he just, he looked more disciplined. Um, he was making great contact. And, you know, I mean, like you say, 
He was one of the most, is one of the most transfixing players in baseball. I don't care what you're doing. When he pops up on the screen, you're going to stop and you're going to watch. And for a fan, that just means so much. And then add to that just the joy that he brought to the game. And, you know, I mean, just highlight after highlight, it, 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 it really can't be overstated. That day, I was in a really dark place. Um, I, I just, I thought it was short-sighted. I thought that they uh, just didn't have enough in the outfield. I, like many other Dodgers fans, said, okay, well, we're really upset about this. What's going to be the next move? And right. so there was really like a sense of, okay, we're not happy about this, but let's see what the team does after that. And so th- that's where my head was that day. I-, I really got pretty emo. I was in a text thread with some of my fellow uh, LA sports fans. Your beard, your beard out longer. I, it, yeah, it grew out that day, actually. <laughs> I-, I used words like baseball is poetic and Yasiel in Cincinnati isn't poetic. I'm not proud of that text message, but it was, if you want to know my emotional state that day, I think that's a pretty good window into that. Okay. So... You're waiting for the next shoe to drop. It doesn't really drop. Doesn't drop. I mean, they signed Pollock. Yeah. And he's been playing well. He's often injured. He was rumored to go to the Mets, and I was very nervous about that because he would have probably shown up in New York with like half a hamstring and barely any kneecaps. But he's been playing pretty well for them. And I think the the storm has kind of calmed on the Asiel Puig front. Specifically for you— when we were talking about this, you mentioned one Andy McCullough piece <laughs> yeah. in the Los Angeles Times. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the 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 offseason goes and they don't really make any um, big moves. They also lose Grandal. And so we're kind of just thinking, okay, where <laughs> there was a time last year we were thinking, where's the offense going to come from for the Dodgers? <laughs> Amazing. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. And, um, and so the season starts. And, um, you know, they're off to an okay, okay start. And then Cincinnati comes to town. And Andy McCullough, uh, national baseball columnist for the LA Times, writes just a, a really extensive um, piece looking at all of the difficulties that the Dodgers had with Puig. Now, granted, this is all, you know, from the Dodgers' point of view. Andy did try to talk to Yasiel. He said he didn't want to talk. Um, I don't think that the piece was unfair. I, I, I read it. And there were there were just a lot of anecdotes about how he was he could be such a great guy, be such a great person on the field, but also in the clubhouse he could be um, he could just be a difficult guy to, to 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 work with. The coaches had problems with him, stuff like defensive positioning, things right. like that, things just like the little stuff that you want a professional baseball player to really pay attention to. And there are also enough quotes from guys on the team. In, in a context when I usually think that they would just want to give like very like anodyne non-quotes that I kind of started to do well in Cincinnati. Yeah, exactly. Kind of yes. Yeah. That I, but also it didn't seem to be like they just wanted to just like hatchet Yaziel. It really seemed like this was like a family thing where we've tried with this guy for so long. We care about him for so much, but mm-hmm. damn, he's just not. He's just not getting to the place where we want him to he get. Just won't take out the trash. That's right. Yeah. Right. 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 And you know, like I. I, I look at a baseball team as two different things. I look at them as an entertainment product, and I look at them as an organization that has to work. And when you're talking about the Dodgers as an entertainment product, in the last 10 years, no one, not even Kershaw, has been as entertaining on a day-to-day ba- basis as Yasiel Puig. Right. From an organization standpoint, I, I read that piece, and I really didn't like to come to this conclusion, but I thought, okay, I think that maybe the organization made the right move. And then, you know, 
the next few months really start to, it, it, that was borne out. I mean, the, it's the best offense in baseball. The outfield is just fine. Um, Pollock has been uh, nice when he's been uh, in the lineup. Um, Verdugo has been a more than capable um, replacement machine. as well. Um, I love it. I mean, it's just, it's back to Dodgers baseball where it's just like you could have 18 different lineups and they're all going to score one way or the other, usually by home runs these days, <laughs> but, but they're going to get on the board and, um, and they're probably a, a stronger, a stronger team for, for the move. Yeah. I, that Andy McCullough piece was, I think really illuminating because the parts that stuck out to me were you know, Dave Roberts making sure that he was on the record multiple times saying, I love Yasiel Puig, right. we still text. Right, you right, know? right. And I I didn't read a lot of the quotes as animosity no. or no. anything like that, but the Justin Turner stuff like very much surprised me because he seems like a baseball guy, yep. you know, and a baseball guy comes out and says, but he, you know, he named names and he like yep. said things that Puig did that bothered him yeah. and, and reasons that the team could have been better if Puig would have done some of these things, some of these more chore-like things that yeah. we're talking about yeah. here. Um, okay, so now, we're halfway through the 2019 season. The Dodgers are obviously great. You have no reason to be mad at them right now. Um, I assume you're still a Puig fan. You're still a fan of the guy. One hundred percent. You know, okay. I mean, like how how can you not be? You know, right. I mean, I'm never going to get used to seeing him in anything that isn't a Dodgers uniform. Um, you know, he might not be in a Reds uniform very long. We'll we'll talk about that as yeah. well. But I mean, no, I mean, like he, he's still one of the most watchable, uh, not just in baseball, one of the most watchable athletes in all the sports. Um, you know, it doesn't make like a single by Yazi Puig is an event. It's because you know, just thinking about him like motoring around first. He, every single time, he is not going to get a double on that single. He is going to just attack first as yeah. if he possibly could. 100%. That's the kind of you, you just you you love to see that. He shaves his mustache in the middle of games. <laughs> he a gets in growing trend in baseball. These some days. of the best brawls in baseball. And I mean, look, as a Dodgers fan, any enemy of Madison Bumgarner is my friend. It doesn't <laughs> matter what team he plays for. If he's on the other end of a Bumgarner, uh, um, you know, brawl. I'm I'm with that guy. Or like public tiff or whatever. Absolutely. That, whatever that the whole the whole thing. Year. The whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Or I are you hoping he doesn't get traded? Are you hoping it works out in Cincinnati? I'm just hoping that it works out for him. I okay. mean, you know, it, it seems it's, like they wanted to invest in him and then kind of like they're changing their minds, which is kind of shitty, honestly. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know like enough about like the Reds organization to know how that works. I know his contract is up, this I year. think is that right? That's so, you know, I mean, I guess from uh, a business perspective, that makes sense. I I do think one way or the other, whether it's with Cincinnati or somebody else, the past few months Yasiel has been on fire, so he's going to get paid regardless. You know, I I, I do think that even though he's known as um, as sometimes a difficult guy to work with, his um, his offensive product has been just perfect uh, the last few months, and yeah. I just think that. That there's there's always going to be someone out there who wants to um, who I mean, if you think about just yes, there are organizational difficulties to working with Yaziel. One, he's he's a great person to have. He's a great bat to have in any lineup. Two, the guy sells jerseys. The guy puts asses in seats. You mm-hmm. know, like if, if you think about him really from like a, a more like 360 degree perspective, there's a lot that Yaziel will bring to your to your organization. Um, 
I, I, I'm not worried about him at all, regardless of of what happens there. Right. When that uh, when that first wave wave of Puig love and then Puig Puig backlash kind of was like the storyline at the beginning of his career. I remember listening to like an hour long cowherd segment where he just kept saying butts and seats, butts and seats, yeah, butts yeah, and seats, yeah. and it was like no matter what you think about his deficiencies on the field or his mishaps or his brain lapses or anything like that, like an organization's got to think about butts being in seats. Sure. And, and that some organizations more than others, like the Dodgers don't really need to think about that. No people go. No, it, it was interesting though. In, in the, the McCullough piece, I remember talking about the cognitive dissonance between the, the, the clubhouse, you know, just shaking their heads against some boneheaded thing that he had done. And then that, that next day, seeing him be like a centerpiece of their marketing. Yeah. I mean, that really like encapsulates exactly the whole thing, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a, like the, the front facing part of an organization is going to love what Yasiel brings. He's so great with fans. He's just such like a photogenic guy, just loves just like being out there in the spotlight. And he's really going to like, he's going to connect Handsome, with charismatic, young, fit. Yeah. He's yeah. everything. He's an outfielder, plays a corner position, yeah. power, all of it. He's, and he's not, he's definitely mercurial, but he's not, he's not some moody guy who doesn't ever want the spotlight. He's not right. going to be one of these guys who, you know, a lot of players have gone to Boston and all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is just too intense. You know, mm-hmm. I can't. I think I don't, let me be on the record. I don't want to see Puig in Boston. <laughs> he could go there and be just fine. He, he's like, that stuff rolls off his back. And I think he actually feeds off of it. Um, so I just think that he's an asset for a team in so many different ways. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Let's jump back to the Dodgers for a couple minutes here and then wrap up. Um, obviously the last two years, very successful. One of the best teams in baseball, if not the best team in baseball. Mm-hmm. Came up short in the World Series two different times. Mm-hmm. I don't need to tell you mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, going into the playoffs this year, are you nervous? Are you anxious? Or are you just happy that they should, in theory, be the best team in the NL? And is that enough for you? I'm in this r- really dangerous place right now where th- they've been so dominant this year and we're deep enough in the season that it's been just long enough for me to kind of start to forget the pain of the last two postseasons. Sure. So I'm kind of in that fan zone where I'm forgetting the lessons of the past and I'm just really, really gearing up for, for the playoffs. I mean, you know, uh, the Giants have been great lately, but their lead in the West just looks insurmountable. Um, you know, there are a lot of, like, the, the playoffs will not be a cakewalk, especially, you know, Th- that bullpen is a thing that's going to be keeping me up at night for a long, long time. Especially the longer that they try to keep Julio Urias in it. Oof, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, 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 it's really, really top to bottom. But, you know, overall, um, I feel, I guess I would put it guardedly optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They, they just got swept in the freeway series with the Angels, which almost kind of like, okay, this is sort of like the reality check. Yeah. They're not just going to be walking on air the whole time. They do have to actually gut stuff out. And I feel like they've actually been pretty good at staying resilient. I mean, those last two World Series losses were really, really rough and could be something that could like really muck up like a different organization. But, you know, credit to Roberts. He really like keeps these guys yeah. focused and loose. And, um, you know, I mean, having a team that deep has to be such a challenge for a manager and a lot of Dodgers fans were just got really um, antsy about how much he was tinkering during the playoffs, especially with the pitchers throughout each game. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to continue to do that this postseason. Probably. 
I know I that. Say yes. Yeah, I would, I would say yes. I Seems know that like the, an Andrew Friedman thing. Sure, sure, thing. sure. And you know, like I, I'm, I'm going to come into the postseason the same way I do every year. I'm going to take the long view. I'm going to say, okay, the numbers bear out this kind of strategy. You're going to have to hold on a few different times uh, as things get a little bit rocky. But you know, they've lost two World Series in pretty heartbreaking fashion. But they've also been to two World Series, so sure. I, I'm feeling I'm feeling as, as good as I can in this moment. Guardedly optimistic, taking the long view. Craig Gaines, you've been editing too much Ben Lindbergh. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for doing this. Absolutely, thank you. All right, thank you to Craig Gaines for coming on and ranting about the Dodgers. That was delightful. Um, I'm now joined by Rob Harvilla. Hi, Rob. I have to follow Craig. You do have to follow, follow Craig. Craig. That's impossible. How his, could I possibly do that? His podcast talent turn on the Ringer Podcast Network. What a delight. <laughs> uh, hello. Thank you for having me. And now I'm very intimidated. But uh, <laughs> uh, Hello. It's no, an honor to be here anyway. No, no. You just have to talk about fandom and sadness. That's all. <laughs> well, I am an expert then. Let's rewind to 2016 Game 7. I'm sorry about this. So the game oh, ends. God. The Cubs win. Yeah. The Indians' future yeah. comes out looking pretty rosy, I would say, as far mm-hmm. as league-wide teams go. You know, you have Francisco Lindor. He's a, he was and remains an absolute delight. The pitching staff's yes. one of the best of all times. The bullpen is flexible and manager Terry Francona. He's willing to use it. He's very good. He's, he's proven his mettle. Two off-seasons later, 2018, this was a big storyline this past off-season, Indian CEO and owner Paul Dolan wants to begin exploring options of trading the higher-paid players on the team in order to try to lower payroll. Now, at the time of the 2016 World Series, an agnostic fan like myself, because I didn't really care who won that series, I was actually kind of rooting for the Indians. I hate to break it to Cubs fans, but... um, Thank you. Thank you for that. It Francisco Lindor, man, that smile, it really reels you in. But uh, Very, very chariz- charismatic person, yes. An agnostic fan like me might have thought, okay, well, it was the Cubs' turn. They got their win. It's been over 100 years, but the, the Indians kind of deserve their turn, too. It's been over 50 years. Maybe they'll get their turn in the next couple of years. From a fan's perspective for you, <laughs> how frustrating is it to kind of watch this team sort of slowly devolve and sputter out? especially in a city that is very passionate about their teams and hasn't had a ton of yeah. success outside of the one LeBron Cavs year. Well, the first thing is that the LeBron Cavs year was the same year, you know? Like right. I, the it, 2016 was heartbreaking, you know? It was absolutely heartbreaking, you know? I I remember very well having my heart broken, you know, by the 90s teens by by Jim Tomey, Albert Bell, you know? That was their turn as well, should have been. You know, and so it was a similar feeling, but it was immediately mitigated, you know, by by the Cavs, by LeBron. And yeah, I, I think citywide there was this feeling, you know, that we'll get them next time, you know. And that's that's something that, you know, Cleveland fan, fans say, particularly about the Browns, like we'll get them next year is just like this hilarious, you know, empty, bleak cliche, you know, that we say because we know that it's not going to happen next year or for the 50 years beyond that. But in in that instance, I think because of LeBron, it hurt a little less, you know, and we still came out of that feeling, you know, like things were looking up for the Indians specifically, but certainly, you know, this, this weight had been lifted off Cleveland's shoulders 
And once that happened, like the same thing was going to happen to us that happened to Boston, you know, when the Red Sox first won and suddenly every Boston team, you know, started winning multiple championships. Like we were, we were, we were headed for the same thing. Shoot for the moon. And I think what's, yeah. And, and what, (laughs) what's frustrating about this decline or what seems to be this decline is, is, is that it, it's cyclical. Like it's, it's actually the same thing. You know, it's the, the Indians are, or, you know, loudly protest that they are a small market team, you know, and when they have these sort of generational talents like Lindor, I, it, it's understood by everyone that we're only going to have these people when we can afford to pay them, you know, one third of what they're actually worth on the open market. You know, it's it's not quite as stark a situation as, of course, like in Oakland, you know, where I lived also and I rooted for them a little bit. And that was terrible as well, the A's. But I it's there's this there's always this clock ticking, this doomsday clock ticking, even when we draft well, even even when we luck into or we skill our way into the, these wonderful players that we can tie up and pay, you know, not anywhere near what they're worth while they're young. And once they hit free agency, they're gone. There is no question that they're gone. And that, and that cycle seems to be repeating itself. And in retrospect, you know, they were up 3-1 in the World Series. Like, I obviously, that was their window. That was their time, you know. And it's it's this season is really bizarre so far. And it looked like a lost cause. And now suddenly it's a thing again. And I, I, don't, I, I don't personally know how to feel about it. But mm-hmm. they're... There is this sense of of the window having shut or is rapidly shutting again, and what's frustrating about it is how familiar it feels. Right. I I want to talk about this season, but briefly before we get into that, I want you said that you lived in Oakland and rooted for the A's quickly. That perked my ears. I didn't know that. Um, on a scale yeah. on a scale of one to ten, ten being the A's, knowing for sure that they're going <laughs> to lose Josh Donaldson and that type, and Matt Chapman, RIP. I love him so much. I hope he stays there forever. Yeah, but um, yeah. where are the Indians on that sliding scale? I guess if one is the Yankees, knowing they can just overpay whoever they want and keep them around forever. <sighs> um, like an eight or a seven. Wow. Like the Oakland, the Oakland situation feels so stark because of the contrast with the Giants. Like just the stadiums themselves, like just just sure. to go to games at that Oakland stadium, you know, which, you know, hilariously, like the dugouts fill up with sewage periodically, you know, and there's that cruddy little giant bleacher thing that the Raiders set up, you know, and like the way, way, way nosebleeds. Like it's 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 such a fundamentally cruddy stadium that still has this charm to it. And I it's just I recognized a lot of that Indians type feeling, you know, like not quite lovable losers, but you know, that's just the have nots, you know, the charming and and charismatic and eccentric have nots, you know, who put a team together and, and shock the world, but only so far, you know, it doesn't work in the playoffs. It's like major league. It's like the movie, you know, I, I, there was definitely a kindred spirit there in Oakland. And obviously they are the most famous proponent of this kind of thing. But yeah, that Cleveland has always felt like that. You know, it's just you look at the Red Sox, you look at the Yankees and, you know, you know, the hotshot pitcher that you have today is going to end up on one of those teams five years from now, you know, and the mm-hmm. hope is that you will get in return like the new crop of players who are going to be great and who are going to push you right to the precipice and then, you know, leave again. Yeah, it's a real doomsday clock situation. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about 2019 because we don't need to live in the, dwell in the past for too long, although that's kind of all Thank you. what baseball is all about. Um, that's true. This, this season has been very strange for the Indians. I think baseball writers and 
people who follow it closely, myself included, at the beginning of the year, the Indians were not playing very well, and the Twins were probably overperforming. The Twins are still very good. They've had they've been having one of the best series of the season, if not the best series of the season, against the Yankees this week. But a lot of people probably expected them to come back down to earth. And a lot of people expected the Indians to start to play better. Now, they've had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of issues with the uh, the IL this year. Corey Kluber being probably the most um, impactful one on wins and losses because he's their ace. You know, he's their, he's their workhorse. Um, but obviously, Carlos Carrasco which is a, is a situation a lot more serious than baseball with going on the IL to uh, sort out treatment for leukemia. Um, and then in the interim, it's just been kind of like this weird blend of Mike Clevenger kind of getting hurt and and Trevor Bauer maybe getting traded. But now it seems like that's definitely not going to happen because they're only two games out. Um, do you kind of believe that this team is just going to right the ship and make it back into the playoffs? Because I think a lot of baseball writers and uh, people who were frustrated over the fact that Dolan was willing to sell, sell everyone off were like, well, this is what you get. And now it sort of seems like this might not be what you get, you know? Yeah, it was it was just so frustrating. Like at the beginning of the year, like the Indians were going to run away with the division, right? Like it was right. it was certainly the AL Central was the most boring projected race, you know, in baseball this season. And it, it th- there was a, a divine justice sort of aspect to their early struggles. And obviously, as you say, it was a lot of it was injuries, but it's just this entire offseason, you know, which you know a lot more about than I do, but just the frustration with the free agency situation and just the, the, the universal sort of feeling you got from the owners that they were just willing to be mediocre, that nobody was even trying to get better, that no one wanted, you know, some of the most transcendent players in baseball on their team. It's just the Indians still having this window, still having this team together, Lindor, et cetera, that, that, that they're getting a lot more than they're paying for it. They have a few more years of it before the bill comes due, before all these people leave. Like This is still their time. They could still take it. And if they go out and get just one or two more people, like they could be, you know, they could win the World Series. Like They could take it all the way, but they're just sort of content to be in this median sort of area where they can waltz through the division and then get crushed in the playoffs again like they did last year. And yeah, it, 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 it felt like this is what you get, you know, when they struggled early. But yeah, there was a sense that this, this team is so talented and so experienced now that you did expect them to, to rebound. I, I don't think to this degree, you know, to be the hottest team in baseball, you know, for whatever it's been the last month or so, like you never expect that, you know, and you expect the twins to regress a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it's the, they were down by 10 games and now they're down by two, you know, I, it's the, the turnaround, the whiplash effect of this season, even so far is just kind of shocking. And so, yeah, it's, it's just, it feels like a very liminal space and a very Indian space to be in that like we still don't know if we're going to trade Trevor Bauer or not like we're right <laughs> yeah. on that dividing line like are right. we contenders or are we selling like it's I know in my you know my head says that like the Indians aren't the only team that thinks like this that are as craven about this and are so sort of wrapped up in the idea of being small market but it, it this feels like a very very Indians position to be in where it's just they're one or two pieces away from being a legitimate World Series contender, they're one or two, you know, minor losing streaks away from just blowing it all up, you know, and de facto probably sucking for the next five years, you know, but making Dolan a lot lucky. of money. Like it's right. it's it's so bizarre. Right, right. It's it's just it's bizarre, you know. But it's uh, 
I just I always go back to Major League, which is just the silly. It, it shows my age. It shows a lot of things about <laughs> me, I suppose. But there's just there there's always going to be this sort of ragtag. Nobody believes in us. The owners are jerks. You know, we're Cleveland, and everyone thinks Cleveland is a joke. Sort of aspect to the Indians, and that LeBron helped with that enormously. But I think that's still there's still a lot specific to the Indians, and certainly specific to the Browns. And obviously, the Browns are about to go through this big, weird sort of anxiety-inducing thing. But it, it's just it's just strange just to just think to, to can't de- you can't decide if the Indians are about to do it again or about to blow it up again. It's I I don't know how to feel exactly other than to just root for them with all my heart while they're deciding. I guess right. You know, and we've had this entire conversation without even mentioning the name Jose Ramirez, which has been a strange yes. season for him. And I don't think we need to dive into his slump and then his recent resurgence and also the resurgence of Carlos Santana because we're running out of time. But you you mentioned that they're one or two pieces away. I'd be curious to, f- to see how you feel about uh, what those one or two pieces maybe are. Um, I mean, I know everyone can probably use bullpen help. So like, the name Will Smith from the Giants keeps popping up for every team that wants to be a contender. I don't know if that's really a non-starter for the Indians or not. But here's a thought, a crazy thought that will def- almost definitely not happen. But the Indians this season, it's been much talked about about how almost ridiculously terrible their outfield is for like a good team. And yeah. um, I just talked with Craig Gaines a little bit about how uh, the Dodgers trade away Yasiel Puig to a team a team in the Cincinnati Reds who thought that they were going to try to contend this year and invest in him and now it seems like they're not um, what would happen if you paired Yasiel Puig and Francisco Lindor on the same team would the love fest just be too much for fans to handle would like would this team suddenly become the most fun team in baseball outside the Padres absolutely it would and I it's a very Indian thing that I haven't even thought about that or considered that or even put like names or faces to what those one or two pieces they could add are because they're not going to add them. No, you know, like it's they're they're not going to make a big flashy move like that. It's just not what they do. It, the The question is whether they're going to be sellers or not sellers which is very distinct from buyers. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, they, they don't go, you know, the, the moves that they make at, at the deadline, you know, Andrew Miller are, are shrewd, but slightly under the radar, you know, as it goes. It's, it, it's not flashy. They're not going to make a big push. They're not going to go out and get a big name. There's no point in even speculating, you know, from a Cleveland fan's perspective on what that might be. You know, it's, it's going to have to be enough for us that they don't sell everybody. They're not going to bring in new people. But I mean, it would be absolutely amazing if they did that, you know. But I, I think that, you know, 50 plus years of, of Cleveland history suggests very strongly that it's not even worth really speculating on it you're just going to make yourself sad oh poo poo all right rob here's hoping (laughs) that you get to root for francisco lindor for decades to come uh thanks so much for doing this or months you know i'll settle for months (laughs) thanks a lot man